Hello and welcome back to A Couple of Runners. I'm Russell. And I'm Rachel. And together we are A Couple of Runners. So, Rachel, we're coming up to the Valencia Marathon. Two we're weeks' time. Two yeah. weeks' time, just about to taper. Um, so I thought it would be, or we thought it would be, a good moment for us to talk a little bit about how we're preparing for, not just for this race, but how we prepare for all of our races, right? Yeah, and although our race is a marathon, I guess, there's some things that can be um, relevant to all sorts of races, whether it's a 5K, 10K, half marathon, things that people are specifically training for and things that people are just, you know, races that they're just jumping into. Yeah, I mean, I personally, well, we both focus on marathons, our major races, don't we? But I also personally have a lot of goals for my 10Ks and my half marathon times as well. Yeah. So I tend to apply the same general preparation to each and every race that I take part in mm -hmm. so yeah what we're going to do is we're going to talk we're going to break it down the different stages that, that we prepare how we do that and how that leads into getting a good performance out of ourselves on race day yeah so things that we'll be discussing include um cultivating psychological mentality um and strengthening that we're going to talk about tapering race rehearsal um including kit and then we're going to talk about the logistics and what we do 24 hours before a race right up until the race itself exactly cool so most people who are entering a race they might have a specific training plan for that particular event or they might just be running regularly anyway and they'll enter that event without the specific training behind them either way it's fine and these lessons are going to apply to to both types of person mm -hmm. cool so within that training that everyone's that everyone out there is doing within the runs that they're doing already and um, one of the key things for you reach especially with your background as a clinical psychologist is building an in-race psychology toolkit so do you want to talk to us a little bit about that yeah sure so as part of training, it's important, obviously, to train your body to do these races, but you also need to train your mindset. And a lot of people think about sports psychology as being just for athletes and elite athletes when actually there's some strategies that everyone could be using that could enhance their performance. Um, so psychological skills training refers to the consistent practice of mindset um, strategies to enhance performance. Um, so a key thing that I'd always say before a race is committing to a goal and when you're setting a goal make sure it is something that is achievable and it's not you could always have a few goals so that you've got an A goal a B goal and C goal so that if you lose your A goal and you're realize, realizing that you're not going to get that time that you've set you've got another goal to keep you going rather than kind of giving up and thinking oh I can't be bothered to do the rest of this race. Would, all, would goals always be based around time? Not necessarily. So some people might work on process goals, which are actually really important, if not just as or more important, um, because they will help you get to the long-term time goals. So an example being of a process goal, these are things to focus on within the race. So that might be your form or your mentality strategies that you're using. Um, and by focusing on them, the idea is that you then bring yourself closer to the outcome, which would be X time or like a PB. 
And what stage should people start setting their goals at? I guess as soon as you've selected a race that you'd like to do, it's an idea to set your goals. So say that race is in a year's time, you've got a lot more time to kind of set a goal based on that. So what I'm saying there is consider the context. If you are signing up to a race in a couple of weeks time, then consider that when you're making a goal because there's nothing worse than having a goal which is kind of um, overstretching and you're not going to be able to achieve because you're just then going to end up feeling quite demotivated potentially after the race. So say you have a race in 16 weeks time, you start training towards that, you maybe get injured or training doesn't go as you'd hoped it would, you weren't necessarily able to do all the training and to still go for that original goal would turn into a bit of a stretch course. Yeah, that's another example, yeah, where if you have set a goal massively like in advance and everything's going well but something happens, then you can always reevaluate that goal um, to make sure that it's something that is achievable. And it's also important that you commit to that goal and you ask yourself why you want it so much because if you don't know why you want it, then when it gets tough in the race, it's easier for you to kind of back out and stop pushing for that goal. Yeah, I remember when we did this Phil Marathon back in February and in my head I wanted to run a 2.48 and the only reason I wanted to run a 2.48 was because the pace would be below four minutes per kilometre and I just thought that would look cool. So I didn't want it enough. I didn't think about how it related to my overall racing goals, which yeah. is... I, you know, I want to race championship time. I want to push into like the 220s at some point. But at the time, I just think, oh, it'd be quite cool. And it just wasn't strong enough. And when it, when it got really hard, I just wasn't committed enough to that goal. So what happened when it got really hard? Did you just kind of think, oh, well, a PB will do or? Like... Exactly, yeah. Mm. I think as well, I wasn't necessarily that confident in my in myself to do that. Mm. So what would you say about confidence? How does that tap into this? Yeah, I mean, it can be difficult. It's easy for me to say have confidence, but that's easier said than done. Um, but work on it. If you are not confident that you can achieve that goal, what steps can you take to improve your confidence? Would it be um, committing to a little bit of your long run pace at your goal pace, for example? Um but also you could work on imagining yourself as confident. So imagery is really important in sports. If you are, if you think about it, you're in the race. If you imagine someone racing who doesn't look confident, so that's someone who might be looking at the ground or they might be straining in their face, their arms might be like, they might have kind of a body language that's curled over. That's not going to help them achieve a goal. Whereas if you go to that race and kind of, walk around as if you're someone who's confident, race as if you're someone who's confident, then that can help bring you closer to the goal anyway. So this is something that you can building throughout your training leading into the event, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And actually imagery can be really beneficial for um, a lot of reasons and you can do it whilst you're running and whilst you're training, but it's also important to do when you're just kind of sat down at home um to really practice that because it's like i say if you've not done imagery before then it's hard to do that and it can feel strange at first yeah i personally during my interval sessions or during my my hard longer efforts 
I'll like to think about how this is going to translate into the race itself. So I think about maybe the form that I'm doing. I'll think about how I'm breathing. I'll think about how I want to to be running in that moment. And I'll try to, I'll think, right, okay, this is what I want to box. So then when it comes to marathon day or, or race day, whatever that is, I know that I can do this. I know I can do this particular pace. I know that I've completed, you know, 20 reps at that particular pace. So when it yeah. comes to, to the race, it should feel a lot easier than what I've just done now in training. Yeah. So you've described a few things there. You've physically gone and done something that increases your confidence. And also mentally, you're seeing yourself, you're imagining yourself as someone doing it who's confident. And that's really important because if you're, you're basically developing an outside perspective of yourself. So if you imagine when you're running, say, in a marathon or a 10K or whatever, if you're concentrating on how tough it feels on your heart and how you're really struggling, rather than kind of picturing a bird's eye view of yourself running kind of more freely and more like confidently, then the perceived effort is going to feel a lot tougher because you're focusing on how much you're struggling rather than how effortless it could feel. Yeah, I know per from personal experience when I'm in a race, if I'm listening to people around me and I can hear them breathing heavier than me, that makes me feel that what I'm doing is very easy for me because I, I'm able to compare it to other people mm. who at least audibly are having to work a lot harder than I am. So in my head, it's like, well, I'm not actually working that hard if they're having to work harder. And mm. um, I also like to think about relaxing my body i mean we can talk about we could probably have a full episode on form couldn't we but i like to do things like yeah make sure that my arms my hands are relaxed and that i'm breathing easy that everything feels free and if i focus on that i think it re affirms that to myself and it makes me feel like everything's a lot easier than it did moments before yeah it's good that you found like strategies that help you personally because there's some strategies, like this is a thing we talk about strategies that could be helpful. We'd encourage you to just give them a go and not discount things straight away and like, because you won't know what works for you unless you give it a go. Yeah, we often talk about picturing our favourite runners as well, don't <laughs> we? So we watch a lot of videos on, especially on YouTube, of different races, don't we? So like we'll think about, people like philip bowden or why are about... you using examples other than jacob <laughs> <laughs> you're obsessed well, with jacob yeah jacob but i'm also no kipchoge as well so you, you yeah. think about these different runners who are brilliant runners but also like how they do it not necessarily the fact that they're getting the times it's like well yeah. they're running this particular way it's interesting that you think of jacob in ingebrigtsen because i'd imagine the form for someone who's sprinting is different to the form of a marathon runner. So maybe it's more how confident he looks. He just looks so relaxed. And relaxed, like he, yeah. Yeah, he, I mean, he this year he did two miles in sub eight minutes. That's two back-to-back four-minute miles. The guy is incredible, but you watch him do it and it looks so relaxed. You, you said sprinting there. You know, it, it's not at all. And if I can have that feeling of being relaxed if he can do that then running a marathon in 240 it should it should feel and look relaxed compared to what he does but that's it you're imagining you're imagining someone that you know who looks relaxed and he he appears quite confident when he's running doesn't he oh, very and so by thinking of yourself like that yeah it's 
it's a great strategy to use because you're you're improving your own confidence mm -hmm. is there anything else that we could be putting into our mental toolkit ahead of a race yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things which I'm sure we'll cover in future episodes. But I'd say something that's particularly important is how are you going to overcome challenges? So no race is going to be completely perfect. And so when you have a bad mile or a bad kilometer or even just take a corner bad, how are you going to deal with that? So are you going to be the type of person who catastrophizes it and thinks that's it now, might as well start, might as well give up? Or are you going to be someone who kind of gets up when they get feel kicked down kind of thing you know mm -hmm. you watch some of the marathons and the people who win are the people who have fallen in the race sometimes yeah because maybe their mentality has been cool that's happened i've got a bit of an adrenaline rush maybe from falling or something or something going wrong yeah. i'm gonna make sure i get to the finish line and i'm gonna make sure that i make up for it say yeah i think one of my one of my best races was the hero half at the tour of tameside up here in manchester and we got sent the wrong way twice. We had the cones that were supposed to mark the turn back at halfway removed. So we, we ended up running an extra, I think about 800 meters or something like that. Um, and yeah, overall it was, it wasn't the best experience, but I was just really proud of how I, how I reacted in the moment. It was just a case of like, okay, cool. I'm going to run a bit further, but that just means we're going to have to run better. So it's just how you react. Whereas conversely, when I was running a 10K race, I was aiming for my first ever sub 35, which I've still not cracked, which is winding me up. But I was going for sub 35 and seven and a half K in, the 35 minute pacer went past me. And at that moment, because I was working so hard, I just thought to myself, oh, that's it, I'm done. And I don't know why, I still can't explain it to this day, but I just stopped and I started walking and I walked. So on Garmin, it has me down for walking for eight seconds. And then I snapped out of it and I was like, no, come on, let's get back into this. And I finished behind the pacer. I could see the pacer in the distance, but I finished in 35.03, meaning that it hadn't stopped for those eight seconds. But in that moment, like you say, my I came across a challenge which was the pace of passing me. And it, for whatever reason, everything just conked out. So if I'd had better toolkit, if I'd anticipated these things happening, what happens if the pace does go past me? Yeah. I mean, I suppose like what you can do is have a keyword to return you back to how you were. So for, for me, I just use the word like return um, because if I'm in a marathon, which is my favorite race, if I have a bad mile, then it doesn't have to be that every mile after that's going to be bad. If I just go return, then I feel like, cool, I'm back in control because the worst thing is to feel out of control in, in a race. Um, and yeah, you did so well to get out of, you know, eight seconds after walking to kind of pick yourself back up and get back into it. But it's how can you do that sooner next time? Or not walk at all. Or not do it at yeah. all, exactly. <laughs> Um, but also challenges like that are opportunities for growth. I bet next time you experience that because of maybe some of the feelings you had after that race, if you reflect and think, are you a bit disappointed in yourself maybe, or you're a bit frustrated at yourself, then if you feel the urge to walk again, it might be such that you'll make sure you don't walk now because of how that felt. Yeah, no, exactly. I definitely won't be doing that again. Um, cool. So I think we've spoken quite a bit about 
the mental side of things and we're going to have episodes that are going to be devoted to that so yeah let's talk about other aspects that we can do to prepare for a race mm-hmm. so ahead of ahead of a race we talk about tapering being very important so yeah. what does tapering mean for you um tapering for me is kind of keeping a similar routine to before but it might be just kind of reducing the volume so not doing the same runs on the days that I usually would do but doing less miles um to and and also keeping the intensity there it might be that you do slightly less reps um depending on what the session is um but keeping that going otherwise I don't know in my mind I'm like I don't want things to switch off I want my body to still feel like it's you know getting prepared for the marathon um but Oh, yeah, or race, um, but reducing the mileage so that it's got time to kind of recover from, you know, the big block of training that I've done. Um, I think that you learn, don't you, from different races you do. Like, I don't know about you, but I've done races before where I've perhaps tapered too much, thinking that I needed to completely, like, cut the mileage, like, down a lot. And I found that for me personally, that didn't really work because I was at the start line and I kind of felt a little bit more lethargic than yeah. the times when I've kind of kept the mileage a little bit higher. Yeah. Um, what, what have you found? Yeah, for me, it's the intensity. I need to keep the intensity. In the past, mm. I've dropped. I've kept my schedule. So I've, like you said there, you know, if I'm doing five runs, six runs a week, you know, that's what I'm doing. But I've dropped the intensity too much when really it should have just dropped the distance that I'm running on those runs. So... That was a big learn for me. And the amount you taper is going to vary from person to person. And it's also going to vary depending on the event that you're doing as well. Um, in terms of in terms of tapering, how, how do you handle it? So do you ever have any kind of, I don't know, how, how does it affect you when you're tapering? Sometimes, like, I really miss the volume that I've been doing. Um, I miss the long run, say, or I feel like I want to go out and... I don't know, do a longer run or a strength session and you've got to stay a bit, you've got to stay strict to it, don't you? Yeah. Um, but how I manage that is I try and find other things to kind of replace it. So it might be reading a book about running or just a book about something else or working on the kind of mental strategies ahead of the race and thinking as well about what can I gain from not being out running? So we use a lot of our hours of the week running. So, you know, could I actually go for a walk with someone instead because mm-hmm. i find i don't know about you but i find if you run everywhere then walking's a bit like a bit slow. <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a bit like why why oh yeah it just we did it last long. night didn't we? <laughs> we we went out to to the theater didn't we oh yeah, concert. Concert. went to a concert <laughs> last night we were walking back from the metro and it was like <laughs> come on this is taking yeah, 10 yeah, minutes yeah. it could take three if we ran it so yeah, yeah. exactly and so also it's, imp- it's important to Remember that you're not really going to gain fitness in these last weeks. So as Russ mentioned. Or days. Or days, yeah. As Russ mentioned, he keeps the intensity up. And that's to for the feeling of things ticking over still, right? It's not that you think, oh, I need to do intensity because I'm going to get fitter. No, not for at the all. Race. Exactly, yeah. Otherwise, my body's just going to be like, what are we doing here? I'm not used <laughs> to this. Your heart rate goes sky high. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, um, intensity going is important. Yeah, and remember as well that tapering, if you're having to load carb load for a race, then bringing down the miles is actually quite helpful because you don't have to like, you're naturally going to be 
you're eating the similar things than you were before, yeah, yeah. you're actually going to reset that energy balance. What about you? How do you handle the taper? Yeah, so I'm the same as you. Like, I'm, because I'm I'm keeping up to my schedule, it doesn't affect me too much because I'm able to, I'm still getting that intensity in there. I'm still going out on the same days, so I've still got my structure. But it does give me a little bit more time to, to see friends and to... Um, maybe do a bit more yoga or stretching than, than I normally would do as well. So in terms of carb loading, that would generally be swapping out the proteins that you're normally having throughout your training block, which help with your yeah. muscle recovery. And you're reducing those proteins and you're having more carb-based meals as opposed to protein-based, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's when I'm talking about a marathon. I wouldn't, you don't need to carb load for like 5K, 10K. It's like shorter distances. Mm -hmm. um, it's just to kind of stock up your glycogen stores so then yeah, you've got the energy there for the long races, essentially. Yeah, because a lot of people, especially for the marathon, they make the mistake of just absolutely stuffing themselves with all sorts of carbs when really you're not massively increasing your usual volume of food it's just you're changing the macros a little bit aren't you yeah and I also I know everyone does it differently but for me I like to have a big kind of carby meal at lunchtime the day before mm -hmm. a marathon just because if I have it in the evening then you haven't got as much time to digest it you might find I feel like I'm less um confident about being at the start line without stomach issues if yeah I've eating a massive amount and it puts a lot of pressure on the evening if you're like oh god like especially if you've traveled for your marathon yeah and you're like Always. oh i need to make up for it well you don't carb load ah, but... <laughs> true, true, true. um yeah mm -hmm. yeah no cool for me i i like having a pizza the night before i do like having a big meal the night before just... that's not just for a marathon though is it <laughs> no but it's for long runs as well which yeah, is similar. Yeah. It, yeah, whenever I know I'm going to be do going to be doing a long run, and I do need to increase my glycogen stores, then a pizza is the best thing for glycogen, <laughs> everyone. <laughs> so yeah, that that would be mine. And also making sure that you're drinking a lot of water, but you want to make sure that you're also getting your electrolytes in there as well. Yeah. Because one, one big thing is if you're having so much water then you're flushing all the salts and the other electrolytes out of your body and that's going to probably lead to more cramps as well, isn't it? Yeah, so in terms of tapering, like we've spoken a little bit about marathon specific. How would you taper? Say you were going out to parkrun and you wanted to try and get a PB. What would you what would you have done the days before or would it be the week before? Yeah, so say it's parkrun, then we're probably talking about having an easy two days beforehand. Mm. So normally on a Thursday, I would go out and I would do a long tempo run. And I would just cut that down. Yeah. Because I know that in two days' time, I need to be able to perform. I'll also be... I mean, we should be doing it anyway, but I often turn out to parkrun a little bit dehydrated because I've not been as conscious as I would otherwise be if I wanted to go out and get a personal best. So, yeah, make sure that I'm on top of it for that. Um, yeah. Not having anything spicy the night before, um, like I did last night with my Caribbean <laughs> curry. So, yeah, all the, these things are still important no, no matter what distance you're doing. It just looks slightly different in terms of, like, the volume of food you'll be taking in. Or yeah. That side of things. Yeah, similar for me. And I suppose regardless of, like, the distance of course as well 
um we always try and download the course profiles and stuff don't we yeah we're we're really big on that aren't we mm -hmm. so whenever we're heading into a race we'll go online we'll find the website there's normally a gps file that you can download gpx <laughs> file <laughs> that you can download <laughs> if there isn't a gpx file that you can download something else that we sometimes do is we will look up the past <laughs> results we'll find people whose names are a little bit unique maybe and we'll try and find them on strava so we can then look at the route that they ran and get a bit more information that way so we can see yeah see the course elevation we know what to expect in terms of the different landmarks along the way. And you also like, obviously, people love Strava, don't they? And they love to put a little description sometimes. So you get a little bit of insight on like how the actual course was for them as well. Yeah, which definitely. Which is really helpful. I wonder how many people are out there who like, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's a common thing to do, but you don't really think about people just nabbing your, your, court, like your Strava maps, do you? No. Well, the annoying thing is that there's people like me who have their Strava set as private. <laughs> so sometimes you end up going through like dozens of people until you find someone who's actually got a live profile and but no it is very good and you can get an idea of how difficult the course is as well by comparing the time that they got on that course to their personal best or how they were running around that time as well yeah so you can yeah it's really good for i think for the mental rehearsal side of things to know what you're expecting yeah and helping you to feel a little bit more confident and in control going back to the kind of psychological strategies because you feel like you've got a little bit of pre preparation there you're controlling the controllables and um and also we've also looked at youtube as well for some of the courses haven't we like you know the alton towers race someone had done it and we looked at their youtube yeah, to just Harry get Morgan. a bit of insight into yeah into what the course looked like yeah and that was helpful actually because i don't know if anyone's done alton towers as a, as a race but it's very undulating, but a different type of undulating to other races because it's so bendy and windy because of all the different cues and everything. Yeah, definitely. And also knowing that more than half of the race is going to be on in a car park as well. Yeah. It does yeah, set yeah. you up for yeah, what to expect. So you know that it might get a bit boring or a bit samey at some points. So it's a case of building your mental strategy around that. So that's going to be a challenge. How am I going to deal with that? Yeah. And also looking at the type of trainers people are wearing. Yeah. Because some races, it's not very clear if it's more road shoes or trail shoes. Yeah. Do you remember when we did the tour of Tameside? So we did Hell on the Fell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which, for anyone who's not familiar with Hell on the Fell tour of Tameside, it is uphill on road for probably around 7 or 8K. Then you get about 3K you actually moving on to trail and it includes a section where you're going downhill on very very technical terrain yeah and you're trying to work out okay well do i wear road shoes for the majority of the race and then no i'm really going to struggle when i come to the to the trail section or do i go for my trail shoes and then i'm going to probably lose a little bit of time on the road but make it back up on on the trail itself yeah but then the thing for you was you went trail shoes, didn't you? But then you got stuck behind all the, the yeah. road shoe runners on the technical part. But yeah. I mean, that's quite a niche race. Usually races are one or the other, but yeah. it can be helpful to... On Strava, some people log the trainers anyway. So if you found them on Strava, you could see what kind of shoes they've worn. Um, but also usually courses, like the websites of the race, they have like details of the course, don't they? Even for parkrun, so you can 
can see what that says so you know which shoes to wear. Yeah, and I mean, speaking of the Hell on the Fell that we did in the Tour of Tameside, because they were local races, we were actually able to download the GPX onto our watches and then go out and run that course. Yeah. And that gave us even more insight because, especially for Hell on the Fell, we knew that that was going to be 7, 8K that we're going to be going uphill. Yeah. So we could prepare for that. Trying out the courses, if you can, that will help. Like, that tends to help, I think. For me, I find it helps me feel like I know what's coming up so then I can try and strategize both physically and mentally around that. So thinking about what paces I might go for and also what mental strategies I might use on the tougher parts, on the hills or, you know, on the more technical parts. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, yeah, being able to visualize and understand what's ahead of you is very important. What about kit, Rach? Uh, I think it's important that you wear kit. I mean, they say nothing new on race day, don't they? So make sure that you've tried out the kit in training. Um, because the last thing you want is to be in a race and your, I don't know, your top keeps riding up or, you know, these these distractions that you really could do without. Um, likewise, it's important to know if certain, you know, like sports bras or, yeah, I mean, that's for me personally. I don't know if you wear a sports bra. Um, <laughs> um, but to just check for chafing so you know to apply vaseline onto areas that might chafe um likewise i always like to wear i don't know if anyone's heard of happy toes but we love happy toes yeah it's like a kind of balm type i don't have to just yeah like a balm that we put on our it's like it's almost like vaseline but for your feet and we'll put that on before putting on some socks and it just kind of keeps them a bit more moist rather than like the skin drying and (laughs) yeah um but yeah, and then likewise, like I say, nothing new on race day. We'll we'll strategize, like we'll try out different nutrition, won't we? Different gels. Um, I don't know if you want to say more about that because you've tried quite a few gels recently. Yeah, no, totally. So one of the issues that I used to have in my early marathons was cramping. So again, this is probably something we could talk about in full on another episode. But switching over from the cis kind of everyday gels over to their electrolyte versions really helped me with that. Also, during training, making sure that you're not just trying the gels, but you're actually having the gels at different intervals. So, again, this mainly applies to half marathons and to marathons. But once you've been running for over an hour, if you are looking to perform at your maximum, it is important that you are taking the gels quite early on in the race. So, yeah, making sure that your race day nutrition, you're familiar with it. Also, you might not be able to always carry gels around with you or water as well or different drinks. So making sure that if there are gels that are going to be available at an event, finding out what they are and then trialing them yeah. ahead of time as well. That's what I did um, with one of my races. I, and I, um, my twin sister, Hannah Bergen, um, she has she's a PT and a sports nutritionist. So I just sent her kind of the gels and she looked them up and kind of gave advice around um, whether they were for me to take, like whether I could give them a go or, you know, what considerations to have. So that could be something to consider if you are struggling to find the right gels. You can Google about it. You're welcome to ask us either through our Instagrams or, um, yeah, whatever. Um, and also it could be useful to get in touch with a sports nutritionist if you're finding that you're really struggling to take on gels or you've got specific um, gastric issues during your races. 
I was actually watching a video of Tom Evans, who won Western States. And it was when he was training for Western States. And he was literally just trying to make his body accept larger amounts of gels. Because the more gels your body can handle, the better fueled it is. And the more likely you're going to be able to, to carry on. So if concept is Western States, is it's a 100-mile ultra race. And so, yeah, nutrition is very important. So, yeah, it's quite interesting seeing about how important it is in his preparation. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But also it's thinking about the in-race nutrition. And we mentioned kind of tapering and the importance of carb loading sometimes. Um, but regardless of the race, what are you eating on the morning before the race and how much time are you leaving? Like maybe try um, different time windows to see which one feels like the best for you so I find that sometimes running too soon after breakfast can cause stomach distress um letting it digest and then maybe topping it up before a race with like a energy bar of some sort or a gel on the start line is more beneficial for me but be your own science experiment try different things yeah so I mean we're going to talk about 24 hours you know what you're doing in that 24 hours but like you said there Rach you know if you are going to to race especially if you're traveling to a race make sure that whatever you have for breakfast that day you have in training so for me it's always porridge with banana with raisins with honey chia seeds and if we're traveling abroad i will pack those things with me yeah so i'm able to, i know that i'm going to have them available to me and check like if you if it is abroad um or even in the uk check what facilities the hotel has so for us we we just need a kettle, really, for our breakfast, don't we? Because we we bought a kettle when we went yeah, away, yeah. didn't we? When we were in America, we bought a kettle just so that we could make our morning porridge, um, with the, in a slightly different <laughs> way, but you kind of getting the same nutrition in, aren't you? So yeah, making sure that that's all taken care of, but also making sure you hydrate in the days leading up to the race as well. Yeah, so hydration, nutrition, we spoke about before, but both very important, and. Um, I think the day before at least to plan out the logistics so if you know that it's going to be say a 10 a.m start you know you, you want to plan backwards from there so how much time do you need to warm up so a good warm-up might be two or three kilometers easy running some drills in there as well how long is that going to take you get you're going to have your bag drop off in there as well if you're going to be taking a bag you might need to park your car if you're going to drive there. You know, if not, then how long does the train take? You know, what train are you going to catch? Um, and also, as Rach knows, there's massive queues at the toilets before a race. <laughs> so that's also important to factor in. Yeah, definitely. I, I like to have plenty of time to allow for multiple trips to the toilet. It's not that I've got, yeah, particular issues around it. It's just that... I like that. That helps me feel more in control, more confident on the start line. If like I've got more time, I'm calmer. Um, but even like the night before as well, you know, to touch on a different thing to prepare. How we we said before about the importance of feeling confident and in control of your race. So what can you do the night before to help towards that? For me, I like to listen to Ludovico Einaudi. I think his He's a great pianist and his music is really calming and it kind of tunes me in as well. I listened to it during a 24-hour race that I did and it kind of tunes me into mental toughness because that's what I needed during that race. Um, do you have anything particularly the night before that helps you to feel calmer? 
I mean, just while you're on that topic, and I said about <laughs> listening to Ludovico before, uh, the night before, but what song do you always listen to right before your race without fail? Right, be- right before my race, I like to listen to Till I Collapse by Eminem. Just because, like, different in terms of theme, isn't it? <laughs> Quite a different genre, yeah. But I just feel like I resonate with the lyrics in terms of like trying to push through a race. Um, and also, I think because I listen to be fair, I think because I listened to it during my first ever marathon, I've just associated it with races now. So it's like it's my thing to do, it's my routine. You love your routine <laughs> as well, don't you? Yeah, I personally don't actually really listen to music anymore when it comes to my races. It doesn't. Mm. Sometimes I like to listen to the French World Cup song, which is a little bit niche. <laughs> but uh, Each their own. Yeah, yeah. Um, it doesn't necessarily work for, for everyone. But something you like doing, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, not Go on. <laughs> putting on what you, do but I like? if there's like um, race pickup or something the day, like the days before, you like to, you know, pick your bib up, sorry a couple of days before you don't want to leave everything to the last minute because it's quite a sensory overload isn't it in the exhibition centers sometimes yeah so it can be quite specific to marathons that so if you're getting your bib posted out to you then fantastic you know you're going to have that a few weeks in advance hopefully and you don't have to worry but yeah when it comes to going to um, events villages and expos then yeah i do like to get that out of the way early again it's just another controllable i know that if for whatever reason you know there's a train strike on that particular day it means i've always got the next day to go there's always i can always walk overnight and yeah i just like like taking control there i think as well it gives more opportunity like the night before to i personally like from say four o'clock the night before at least to just be inside and almost like make yourself feel like you're a bit of a caged animal so that you've got so much en- uh, uh, <laughs> I'm mixing my words there but so much energy for the actual race regardless of the race yeah. like I really like that when we did the 10k race last week and just be able to chill and watch tv for a bit yeah no exactly exactly no it's good to to unwind and um, something else that we always tend to do as well the night before is do our pacing bands so our pacing bands are essentially like festival festival bands, right? That we bought off eBay, they're completely blank, and we work out what we want our splits to be. So going back to our A goals, um, and we write down the different splits. So we know that when we get to certain marks on the course, we want to be hitting at least that time. What's the reason we do that, Rach, as opposed to just looking at our watch as we go along? As we all know, watches can be quite there can be a lot of problems with the GPS, especially in races where there's like tall buildings or something. Um, there's a whole section in London Marathon where you just lose co- GPS completely. Um, but even if it's not a marathon, like knowing that you just feel more in control, you know that for sure you're at that marker at that time and it matches with your pacing band and it keeps you in the kilometre or, or mile that you're in because you're just focusing on getting to that time and you're like tick, tick, and you just feel like it's kind of a little tick list that you're doing. Um, and on that note, it's useful to know if the race has got kilometre or mile markings because that's, that's what you'd have to put on your pacing band, obviously. Like, if you've got the mile markings and it's kilometre markings out, it's not going to really match. It's not going to be of a, as much benefit. No, exactly, exactly. And, you know, if if I'm going for, say, I mean, you mentioned there a 40-minute 10K before. It's quite easy to divide that up, isn't it? So a 1K, I'm going to be 4 minutes, a 2K, I'm going to be 8, etc., but if you're not going for such a round time, then it's very hard to know 
where you want to be at 4k in yeah at 6k yeah. In. so yeah having having your pieces already just written on your band that you can just look to compare it to your watch and you can see like what time you're actually at and it just lets you know whether you're on track or whether you just need to yeah. pick it up a little bit and it's also even if you've looked at the course and you know that there's paces on the course um not all, it's hard to know at your races like kind of how much experience that pacer's got or like pacer's are human something can go wrong for a pacer as well so having them on your arm just it kind of helps if something does go wrong with that as well yeah it goes back to your mental toolkit doesn't it feeling in control exactly yeah so just another thing again and you're seeing your, your goal on your arm essentially mm-hmm. so that's also playing into committing to your goal because you know that if you keep to them times you will get that goal and you've already solidified why you want that goal in your head. So it just all comes together just through the festival pacing bands. <laughs> we should start selling them, you know. <laughs> Sell them pre-printed. In terms of 24 hours before, so we've spoken about planning out what the morning's going to look like, making sure that, again, you're taking into account the uncontrollables and you're trying to control as much as you can. We've spoken about nutrition right before a race as well, hydration, pacing, your mental toolkit that you want to take in there. Um, another thing to, to consider as well in the in that 24 hours before is your flat lay. So flat lays aren't just about taking a photo so everyone can see, right? <laughs> so then they're like, you're showing everyone like, oh, I'm doing a race, but you've actually not done it yet. No, no, you might not even turn up <laughs> on the start line it. if you're not controlling the uncontrollables, if you've not set four different alarms like we do. But um, no, for me, I think a flat lay is important because it makes me, it puts everything in one place, right? So it's not necessarily a flat lay photo, but I want to lay my kit out. So I know, yeah. so that it's making sure that I've got everything in one place the night before. So for yeah. me, that's quite a big one. On the morning of your anxiety might be high, well, probably will be higher than the night before. So trying to find things when you're already quite stressed can be more stressful. And then you're going to get to the start line stressed, which is what you don't want. Um, so yeah, definitely flat lays are not just about the, the likes on Instagram. Flat lays aren't just for <laughs> Insta, they're for life. <laughs> so... That's the saying. Um, so, yeah, you, you've gone through all your 24 hours prep. You're working your way towards the start line. I think start position is quite an important one, isn't it? So knowing where to stand based on your goal. You don't want to start too far back because then you'll get stuck behind people and you want to start off your race feeling as calm as possible because it will follow you through to the rest of the race, hopefully. If, if you're going too far back, then like you say, you're getting stuck behind people. If you go too far forward, the downside of that is when people set off, you're going to want to go with the people around you, right? And you, you're going to completely lose your pace. So you, you really want to be stood around people who are going for a similar time as you, so you can work together as a group. Exactly. And I'd say as well, for me, what I what I try and do on the start line is is kind of take deep breaths and focus on myself because as soon as I look around and, and look at it's easy to look at people's gear and then just assume that they're like <laughs> pro or something yeah you're like oh, I'm in the wrong place whatever oh, they've got alpha flight threes on they're not <laughs> even out yet and they must be <laughs> yeah. a pro so like just stay in your own lane like think about this is your goal no one else is and like yeah whatever helps deep breathing or distracting yourself by kind of looking around and I don't know looking at some of nature or whatever helps you 
Um, think about what helps manage your anxiety in kind of your daily living and try and translate that across to your start line as well. Yeah, very important. So I think we've taken everyone from the beginning of your training blocks all the way through to the race. So at that stage, it's just about using your toolkit that you've already built. And we'll talk more about in-race strategy, I think, in future episodes. Yeah. But this episode has mainly been about race preparation and making sure that you've got all the tools there ready. Exactly. And if anyone has got any further questions on that, then as as I say, you can contact us through Instagram um, at Rachel underscore Ultra Runner and... The running bank. There's actually two running banks. The other one's a lot more popular than I am. Does it? But he's, but he's got an underscore before his name. So you're the running bank without the underscore. Yeah, and he's kind of the real one, but I'm the more real one because I don't have an underscore. Yeah, makes it seem like you're the OG. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, thanks, thanks for listening to us uh, ramble on as as ever, <laughs> and yeah, look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Yeah, thanks, guys. Take care.